content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice. This is Sissy. And this is Susan. And we are Function Junction. Behavior matters. It really matters. You know what else matters? Tell me what else matters. Well, recent data that just came yeah. out from Center for Disease Control and um, observation that I made during spring break. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> Let's talk about prevalence just real quick. We'll probably have another podcast when we break it down a little bit better. It just came out today from the Center for Disease Control, but now autism's prevalence is one in 36 in the United States. So, yes, and they take that number off of eight year olds. Right. I mean, they look at eight year olds to come up with the number of one in 36. So, wow. And they also said that, which is has remained the same, that boys outnumber girls four to one, which means that one in 27 boys is on the spectrum. Yes. I think it's important just to note that the CDC takes three years to publish the results. So basically three years ago. The prevalence was one in 36 in the United States. Yeah, of those eight-year-olds who are 11 now, right? Yes, they're 11 years old now. Yes. It's a little bit complicated, but um, scary. (laughs) You know, at what point is it going to be? You know, in 2021, it was one in 44. So in two years, the numbers have grown from one in 44 to one in 36. I mean, at at some point, you know, you had talked about a school district where you worked, where were you saying about the... Uh, every four to five years, the numbers were doubling, which, okay. you know, there's that exponential growth factor. And I, I think that growth rate has probably continued. I just um, don't look at that kind of data all the time anymore, but except when the CDC sends it out. But I bet if we did, I bet if we trailed it back, we would see that that is how the numbers are going. Uh, you and I also were talking a little bit about girls being underrepresented to a degree, could be that um, little girls are able to mask it better. Yeah. You were mentioning something about a language piece of it for boys. Yeah. And uh, we all know that little girls tend to be more precocious with their language. And so that could delay seeing it. And then, um, you know. Yeah, I will break this research down for you guys and put it on, you know, talk about it more in depth in a podcast. It just came out today. But yeah, one in 36 eight-year-olds who are identified with autism in 2020. And it does talk about, yeah, we'll figure it out and give you more information. It's pretty interesting. It breaks it down by culture and um, different things. So we'll have that in a future podcast, but you can always go to the CDC website, which is cdc.gov and figure out more. But anyway, how was your spring break? Well, my spring break was, you know, kind of interesting. I did work a day because, you know, you and I work for several school districts. And so um, I had a school district that was not on spring break and worked with them. I had a friend's daughter get married, and that was an amazingly beautiful ceremony. She was injured a little bit during the reception and had to leave and come back, which is not any bride's dream, but she handled it with amazing grace. When when she got back, she talked about the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, <laughs> you know, so um, I was like, wow, I'm not sure I'd be saying that if I had to leave my wedding reception right after my first dance, um, but she did, and uh, just a beautiful couple. So that was my spring break. 
Well, that sounds way more eventful than mine was. I did have some fun um, with some friends on St. Patrick's Day. We had my fish and chips, you know, I had to have that. Mostly I watched <laughs> lots of TV. Um, I just <laughs> rested quite a bit. And, you know, Susie, I, I know you and I think about behavior a lot more than most people do, <laughs> which, you know, would make sense. But one of the things I was noticing, and, and I've been watching these fantastic shows, like I'll go a shameless plug one of them is called the servant and it's very out there very very odd and it's it's i can't explain it but one of the things that i noticed is that the people who the servant whatever her name was leanne worked for kept reinforcing inappropriate behavior right like you know i won't won't ruin it but at one point leanne hurt caused pain caused some injury to the wife and they let her keep staying there. They let her keep living there. They reform, reformed their relationship, you know, and, and even though it's a great show, great characters, I was like, Oh my gosh, these people are not behaviorists. You know, like you can <laughs> never do that. And then I was watching another show, which is amazing called dear Edward. And I won't give anything away, but again, the caregiver, you know, kept reinforcing behavior and then changing the rules. Right. So the character of the star of the show would want to do something. Um, he'd want to stay somewhere else at night. And at first it was okay to do that. And then all of a sudden it wasn't okay. You need to stay in your own room. And then like, I think it was last night I was watching, I'm getting caught. I got caught up and he had a snack and the rule was you can't eat snacks in your bedroom. And he kind of ignored her. And then she was like, okay, you can have snacks anywhere you want. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> no, okay, so, so there are a couple of things that come to mind in those. And I think in life, that don't you think that happens in life? Oh, like sure. people are living that stuff out without thinking about life as a behaviorist. But the other piece is if Edward is an adult, Edward gets to eat where Edward wants to eat, right? (laughs) It makes me crazy to see these things where either someone is um, disabled in some way Mm -hmm. or, you know, or intellectually disabled living in a setting and somebody decides to make rules about what they're going to do. No, you don't want them to smoke, but they're of age. And if they choose to smoke, that is their choice, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, or these arbitrary rules where we eat dinner at the table. Well, I don't know about you, but I haven't eaten dinner at the table since I was <laughs> growing up with my family. I mean, of course, if I have guests over, I eat at the table, but for the most part, I eat watching TV. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yes. it's yeah, but anyway, it got me thinking about you know, we've worked with some just amazing teachers. I was in a district today, I was working with one life skills teacher this morning who was just so delightful and really wants the best thing for kids and is really looking at data and really wanting to present data to the IEP team to make database decisions. And then in the afternoon, there was a little guy who engages in a significant masturbation behavior and he's, Mm. you know, he's fourth grade. And so there's lots of things, but anyway, the, the beauty of it is that she, her parents, they weren't complaining one bit. They were genuinely concerned about, you know, the things that they were talking about, the data and the masturbation behavior and everything. And I got to think about, you know, how some of the teachers that we've worked with over the years have been phenomenal teachers and sometimes not always behaviorists, right? And I've also worked with behaviorists or behavior behavior analysts or whatever you want to call them who aren't really the best teachers, me included, (laughs) right? (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sure you're right. I don't know, but I didn't teach for very long. And, um, you know, I, I loved it when I did, but I, th- I think I'm going to be a better behavior analyst than I would ever be a teacher. And that's okay, right? Like, just because you're one doesn't mean you have to be the other. Yeah. And I was thinking about this sweet, sweet teacher that I worked with years ago. Her name was Mrs. G. And there was a lot of drama because she had um, tried to prompt a young man or redirect a young man from not doing his work or what have you. And he had battered her in the face and she got a really bad black eye. Mm. And um, so she was at home for a few days, kind of recovering and making sure there wasn't any damage to her nose, things like that. And at that point he was given a paper pencil task. And this is a young boy. Let me just preface it by telling everybody that he's a first grade age kiddo and he you know, is, has very low verbal skills and he's probably not a kid who needs to be doing, you know, two digit times two digit math because he's not yet learned to communicate his wants and needs, right? He has a device, he uses it more to play with. And so, you know, and I I love the, I love the high expectations. And I remember having a conversation with her and saying what I just said to you, and she kind of got a sad look on her face and I said, maybe put it a different way. He's not ready for two digit plus two digit or multiple, whatever it was yet. Right. That's there's some other skills that we have to work on first. Like we're not giving up on your dream. We just have to, you know, recognize that this isn't the time to be doing paper pencil tasks. And anyway, I just loved this teacher so much. And she was such a good, good, good teacher and didn't really understand the implications of her own behavior and her staff's behavior, right? Which ended up getting people hurt. And so, I don't know. I just thought I'd talk about that today just because I think it's it's important. You can be a good teacher and not a good behaviorist and you can do the, you know, vice versa. Oh, and we hear that all the time when we go into classrooms. I didn't go to school. I didn't learn this in school. You know, I didn't go to school to work with kids with behavior problems. Well, you know, I got it. I understand it. So then let's try to learn some stuff now because they're here and there are students, you know, and I will also say definitely plenty of behaviorists that don't understand the practicality of what is happening in the classroom. You know, um, you, you go in and you give these, not you, but behavior analysts, BCBAs or whoever go in and they have these very stringent instructions for one student. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the teacher is saying, yeah, it's me and another para and she's out of the room some of the time, you know, ki- taking kids to inclusion. How am I going to follow this very strict guideline that you've given me? Yes. Or, or, or even in suggesting goals and objectives, they frequently, and I frequently mm-hmm. <laughs> forget that, uh, at least in the state of Texas, and I'm sure it's this way across the country, things have to be tied back to the state standard. Yes. In Texas, it is the TEAK. And I do, you know, I love, I don't mind stopping and looking at a student's goals and objectives and saying, okay, I'm happy to look at a TEAK. Mm-hmm. Then let's look at the vertical alignment and see what are the prerequisite skills that lead up to that TEAK. And you know, this is true too. We even have some children that are not at the prerequisite skill yet. Like the little boy I saw today who was engaging in masturbation behavior. And I'd like to qualify that term, masturbation behavior. 
I wouldn't call it that if I were talking to a parent, I would call it sensory stimulation because it really was at that level. It wasn't, he wasn't masturbating to achieve the same outcome that a teenage boy would be doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. He's yeah. Touching his private area. However you want to say that. Yes. yes. But when we, so then to me, we're thinking, okay, let's pick a math teak. Let's look at the vertical alignment. I'm talking Texas stuff, so I'm sorry if you're listening sure. from somewhere else. And, and it could be you, I'm sure, still have a scope and sequence and, and, a, and a, you know, a way that your skills are scaffold that you could pull down to. But also, what is important to that student? You know, so frequently for some of our students who are really struggling to get to the prerequisite piece, if it is, if I think it's a social skills teak that talks about knowing the sequence of their day or following the sequence of their day or knowing the sequence of events, we oh, will wow. talk about their visual okay. schedule. Sure. You know, yeah, we will talk absolutely. about them moving through their school day right. with the use of the visual supports. And that is their social study sometimes. And I think that makes perfect sense because does it really matter if they can pick out the important pieces of Texas symbols? You know, do they know? <laughs> right. I don't care if they know that the blue bonnet is the flower. How are, are can they make it through life without ever knowing it? Absolutely. But will it serve them so very much to be able to get through the sequence of their day? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had talked to a teacher before spring break, and uh, she was looking at a kiddo who's going on to middle school and, you know, again, aligning with teaks and all of that. And, you know, we talked about what do his parents say about what he's going to do when he graduates. And I know that's a long way off. And, of course, it could change. It probably will. But at the time, his outcomes were to be at home. And so, you know, we talked about, OK, so for a math skill you know, or a science skill, that's probably a better example. What about making a two to three ingredient meal yeah macaroni and cheese or a sandwich with you know meat cheese or condiments or what have you and bread and tying that back to you know science or in math you know if you're going to make macaroni and cheese you have to be able to measure the water so how do we measure the water that could be a math skill or to understand when you have too much of something or not enough of something and so yeah it's tough and it's particularly tougher as kids get older but it's possible and you know, those are the kinds of things that are going to make an impact on their life, not whether or not they can identify what floats and sinks. Right. And I, I mean, even the making of macaroni and cheese, I can remember working in a summer training with a very a student who was very academically able, all gen ed, amazing. I mean, I, that he, he has a bachelor's degree now. And but in the summer program that he was being a co-teacher in, basically teaching the teachers how to do things, he learned to make the mac and cheese in a cup kind of thing. Uh And his mom said, this is fantastic. This adds to an after school snack that I know he can take care of on his own. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the other piece is we say this frequently. I know you do. And we may have said it on the podcast already. But when we're looking at those kiddos who are 20, even 19, our students, you know, the, if you have special needs, you can go through the year that you turn 21. So you might be in school 
and turn 22, but you're going to exit after that. When we see those students at 19 and 20, we really, particularly those with more significant needs, we really should be thinking about what is your day-to-day life going to look like when you leave and let's start practicing those things now. Can we practice straightening up the living room? Yeah. Can we practice? Now we're going to, I'm going to work on my puzzle for a little while. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to, you know, so what is your day-to-day going to look like? And let's practice it now. Yeah, we had a parent years ago whose son um, was going to live at home, and 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 but she really wanted him to work at the church on Saturdays and Sundays as a volunteer greeting guests. And so we taught him to greet guests appropriately without getting in their personal space and smelling their hair and touching the fat under their elbow, you know, under their arm yeah. and all yeah. that. And that was really important for that family. But <laughs> anyway, Susie, I have to give our listeners an update too. You had mentioned this young man who has his bachelor's degree. And some of you might remember Debarshi, who has also his bachelor's degree. He did get accepted to two um, graduate programs, one in computer cyber work and one in an educational program and a fellow program up in New York. So fingers crossed. Um, I know he'll choose one of them. And I think in his perfect world, he would choose both, you know, do the <laughs> secondary, the, the graduate work in education, and then also take a course or two in the cyber crime. But, um, and that, that is actually what he texted me today and said that in a perfect world, that's what he'd do. So congratulations to Barshi. So, um, I do feel like we've kind of been all over the place today, but some of what you were saying, and, and it comes back to me to trying to be a good behavior analyst, also trying to be a good teacher. Recently, I was in a classroom and one of the students is highly, highly social, highly social young man. And as we're walking to go somewhere in the building, he is telling me, and that's the cafeteria, and that's the library. And I mean, he's telling me each of the places along the way. And I thought, you know, he's young, and there may be many other skills that develop. But I can imagine him either, if he has a really high interest in something, he could be a tour guide totally. at, at a place, you know. Or the other thing that I thought is, he could work at a Home Depot or someplace where people walk in and say, where I'm looking for a shovel. Where do I find the shovel? And he'd be the first one to say, let me show you. I'll take you. Come on. Yeah, or if he's super interested in Legoland, he could be a tour guide at Legoland or a, a docent in a museum if he has an interest in art. Like, absolutely. Yes. I love that. I really think that we have to keep remembering what are their interests, you know, and how can we use those interests to help them have work that helps them contribute. And, you know, those interests could certainly change because, you know, I have, you and I have definitely seen that, particularly our students who have more social need and less academic need, you know, one week it's the solar system and they know more about the solar system than Sheldon Cooper. (laughs) And, you know, the next week it's, you know, the digestive track. I, I can't remember precious little fella who I think it was Mrs. Frizzle in the Magic School Bus, but he <laughs> he would draw pictures of, you know, here's the heart and he's showing how the blood flowed into the different ventricles and how it moved around. And I thought, I am not sure I know that. Oh, no. Yeah, there's a lot that I'm like, okay, yeah, to take your word for it. <laughs> and you're right, we have kind of been over the, all over the place. I, you know, I know we wanted our listeners to have a good updated number from the CDC 
and and knew that we wanted to talk about being a good behaviorist versus being a good teacher. And that leads into being a good teacher and being a good behavior analyst in terms of post-secondary outcomes and goals. So, yeah. And I think we want our teachers to feel free to ask about behavior. And we would really love for behavior analysts to say, I'm not sure where we go with this math skill, you know, because I know that like in some some programs, they use a very prescribed system for working with students. And, you, you know, you reading might start with identifying capital letters and identifying lowercase letters. Well, you and I work with students all the time. Letters are not the thing. Forget letters <laughs> right now. They're not going to be phonetic learners, right? They're not going to be. You know, or, or even letters, period. You yeah. know, he's not, you know, he's not attending to those kinds yeah. of things. Oh, I see. Yes. Like the, yeah. with the paper. I mean, paper. even if I could get him to be able to match object to object, that might be a good thing. And, and then associate that with his daily schedule. And now we're back to helping him understand the flow of his day. Sure. And then we could go from object match to object to picture match, you know, and move him along. If you can't do that, what good is it if you're not, if you're able to, in a very prescribed way, show that you can match num- letters or numbers or whatever? Yeah, there's so many skills. And so I think we all have to listen to each other, you know. Well, yeah. yeah, 100%. And you make me think about how I ended my day today with a specialist who I adore, Jennifer. And, you know, we were like, oh, that was a good day. And she was, and, and, and we both said, you know, it's so nice. Like nobody has the answer, right? The teacher has great input. The paras were awesome. They have great input. I had some input. Jennifer had some input. Dad, of course, is going to have some input. But at the end of the day, if we hadn't had a conversation, we wouldn't have come up with the ideas that we came up with, you know, and Jennifer had lent a lot to the conversation. I think the paras did too, the teacher, you know, so we do have to listen to each other and it can't be, you know, I'm a teacher. I didn't go to school to be a behaviorist. Okay. But we have behavior. So, or I'm a behavior analyst. I didn't go to school to be a teacher. Okay. But we're working in classrooms. So there's, <laughs> yeah. there's that piece too, you know, but it is really about collaboration and building capacity. But anyway, you ready for a question? I am. Okay. So going back to Mrs. G and the whole issue of, you know, getting headbutted because uh, and, and getting a black eye and then the, the pair having her hand stabbed with a pencil. If you, uh, whether you're a behavior analyst or a RBT or a teacher or a paraprofessional or a parent, what might be the least likely strategy to help in those situations? A, no paper pencil tasks. B, timeout. C, maybe changing how we approach him rather not approaching from the front. D, reinforcing his following directions. So what do you think? Okay. So I definitely would want a D, reinforce his following directions. So that one's not going to be my answer. And I do struggle a little bit with no paper pencil tasks. Now, I say that. In that eventually I'm going to want him to do paper pencil tasks. Right. Before time, I might not. I might remove that challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And where I work with him, yes, I'm definitely going to think about where's the safest space to work with this student as we're working through why is he aggressing, you know, but time out. Hmm. (laughs) Okay. So 
time out in its truest sense means time away from a reinforcing setting. So little children who are having fun on the playground and somebody misbehaves and they get a time out. They're having to sit out of what the fun thing is. But if what you want is not to do that paper pencil task and you hurt someone and now you're sitting over there by yourself. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Yes. So I think that, you know, I love the way you said time out, a time away from reinforcement. The whole idea is if time in isn't reinforcing, then time out isn't going to be effective. Right. And I, I really rarely see teachers use time out as much as I used to 10 or 15 years ago, but I see it every once in a while. And the whole key with that strategy of time away from the reinforcement is that if you use that using your, your playground example, then it has to decrease the behavior, right? Yeah. So if he throws dirt or pulls some of his hair or whatever, trips a kid, and you put him in timeout and he keeps doing it, then it wasn't really serving his purpose. So the whole idea is, like we always say, looking at the data and saying, how's that working for us? You know? Absolutely. And data so, is is what makes the decision. It's not what you're feeling, what you think it is what do I see happening is it changing the behavior in the direction that I want it to well and, and you know you hear it a lot well on my campus we do ISS and on my classroom or in the kindergarten grade we do time out and I do want to just kind of wrap up by telling you this really cool story that I have told you so I was out on a playground not too long ago and I see the kids walk out and here's little Johnny and little Susie and little Mary and little Joe and they have to sit by the wall and I'm thinking, oh, no, they're doing what we just talked about. And then the teacher was like, okay, boys and girls, remember, when we go play with our friends, we don't trip them. We play nice. We have nice hands and nice feet. We have a nice body. We can run and chase, but we can't tag kids or hurt other kids. Okay, remember to get everybody, you, Johnny, give me one rule for the playground. Susie, give me another rule. It was so instructional. And then Aww. it was two minutes and then they got to go play. There you go. It makes so much sense to teach why you're, why you're time in, in time away from the reinforcer. Yeah. And then make sure there's a check for understanding and then go back to the reinforcer, you know, instead of sitting out for the whole, you know, playground time. Right. Right. And with our little fellow who was stabbing people, we're always going to want to go back and make sure, do we have the function and are we able to teach him a replacement behavior that serves the function for him, but is safe for all of us. But yes, you know, while that's... making antecedent modifications of using a crayon or a marker. <laughs> there you go. We're gonna, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, well, sorry, everybody. We were kind of all over the place and I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. And I know we're back from spring break and everybody's counting the days and it's been a good year and next year is going to be better. So we hope you have a great weekend and we look forward to having a great conversation with a, a colleague of ours that was Sissy and I both work with. So as always, have a great weekend. Take care. Bye. Bye.